I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is You Can't Make This Up. You Can't Make This Up is the podcast where we uncover the true stories behind your favorite Netflix documentaries and films. On today's episode, we take a closer look at the documentary film, The Tinder Swindler. This is someone who is well-traveled and still works very hard. So I thought, oh, great. Let's swipe right on that. Today, we're talking to director Felicity Morris and producer Bernadette Higgins. This episode contains spoilers, so if you haven't watched The Tinder Swindler, stop here and come back when you're done. Using a popular dating app, Cecilia connects with a caring playboy named Simon, the son of a rich diamond broker who wears designer clothes, dines at five-star restaurants, and flies her around Europe in a private jet. It seems like true love, but their lives are upended when Simon goes on the run to escape his violent business rivals. Cut off from his fortune, he convinces Cecilia to borrow money so he can continue his extravagant lifestyle. But when the bills come due, Cecilia realizes Simon is not who he seems. And I said, do you have a picture of him? That moment when they look at each other and they say, that's the guy. Function, you know. Felicity Morris and Bernadette Higgins, welcome to You Can't Make This Up. Thank you so much. Thank you. Nice to be here. Bernadette, I'm curious, what elements of a story do you look for when selecting a subject to put on film? Um, Well, we don't like a story that's too linear, that's too straightforward. We always look for twists and turns and unexpected directions where the plot goes that are always going to be a surprise to the viewer. Um, So that's what we're always kind of looking for, like where where the kind of the different chapters of the story um, and yeah, the Tinder Swindler definitely gave us that. Well, how did the story of Simon Leviev come to your attention? Well, actually, Fliss brought it to me. <laughs> uh, we had been working together at the same company for a few years, but we hadn't actually made a film together and we, we, we really wanted to. Um, so it was actually Fliss that came to me and said, listen to this story. I'm going to direct it. Why don't you come and produce it? And we'll just have a lot of fun making it. And we did. And it was a really thrilling experience for both of us. And it was just a story that really appealed to both of us because we understand the world that it works in. You know, it starts off in London. We understand online. You know, I've done online dating. Lots of my friends are currently on Tinder. We've all had lots of dating experiences. It's kind of our generation. So it just felt like a, a very, it was a very easy yes from me. Well, Felicity, I would love to hear how you first heard about the story of Simon Levive. Had it land on your radar? Well, in the film, as you'll see, um, Cecilia goes to the Norwegian press. Um, she's living in London, but is Norwegian. And she goes to the biggest newspaper once she discovers who Simon really is. Um, and they did this great investigation into Simon But at that point, he was still at large. He hadn't been caught. He hadn't been arrested. Um, And their newspaper article, their piece was basically picked up by press across the globe. It sort of went viral on its own. Um, And that's how we came to find it. 
Felicity, uh, you worked on Netflix's breakout documentary and one of my favorite all time, uh, Don't Fuck With Cats. That was a real globetrotting, cyber sleuthing tale. Do you think that the Tinder swindler has some of that same sensibility and DNA as Don't Fuck With Cats? Definitely. Um, I think that, you know, Don't Fuck With Cats, it was amazing in the way that it took you, you know, from Canada, you know, went to Montreal, Berlin, Paris. Um, and I think that the Tinder Swindler was the same, you know, it's about a globe trotting playboy, if you like, and it involves women and victims from all around the world. Um, because that's how he has been such a successful con artist is by committing these sort of relatively smaller crimes in different countries and then sort of jetting off onto the next, leaving, you know, the police and the sort of jurisdiction side of things with a, with in, in trouble and with a big sort of question mark on them. Um, and I think that the other thing that was great about this story that we, Bernie and I, were sort of so excited to get stuck into was just an incredible amount of digital archive. Um, so Penilla, Cecilia and Eileen uh, very kindly um, handed over their entire WhatsApp uh, conversations with Simon because, you know, they, like a lot of us, live both, you know, a, a, a physical real life relationship with Simon, but also, you know, had these big relationships sort of on, on WhatsApp as well. So for us to be able to get into sort of that treasure trove was, yeah, it was really exciting. And we knew that we wanted to use that archive in a kind of a propulsive way in the film as well. Well, and Don't Fuck With Cats, a lot of the B-roll are things like Google Earth and animations and text messages and Facebook posts. And in Tinder Swindler, there's a lot of um, that kind of, you know, digital B-roll as well. And it's not a production shortcut. It it plays out digitally. And that is a natural way to present the story, right? Mm, yeah, we knew that we needed to bring these messages to life. I think as soon as you think of stuff that happens online, you think, oh gosh, we might get, you know, you're going to be seeing just people typing on computers or being on their phones. So how do we make the audience sort of experience the experience that these women had on their phones, which is, you know, we've all had, been in relationships where when you get that text first thing in the morning and your phone pings and it's from the person that you're falling in love with, the kind of little dopamine hits that you get. That's what we sort of tried to recreate with the love story at the beginning with Cecilia was how she was experiencing that relationship on her phone as well. Um, and then also, you know, as, as the story turns darker and as Simon's true colours start to show themselves just sort of how insidious that can feel as well. But yeah, we knew that we wanted to really almost use the WhatsApps and use the digital archive as its own set of rushes in the filmmaking, as well as obviously the interviews and the other stuff that we'd filmed. Well, Bernadette, I'm curious, as storytellers, you know, is there concern that showing those text messages, those type messages, that you might lose some of that emotional urgency? I mean, you have, that's a puzzle you have to figure out, right? Yeah, and there were about, well, in total, we would have had over a thousand pages of WhatsApps from the three girls. And, you know, a lot of it was just kind of 
checking in, how's your day, what are you up to, what are you doing tonight? So it was very easy to know kind of where to cut. But what we, the real senses that we wanted to get from the WhatsApp was where do we turn the corner in the story? So, you know, the, the love bombing from Simon at the start was very apparent in the WhatsApps. And we all know that experience of just meeting somebody and getting really excited when you get a text and seeing that they're typing and wondering what it is they're typing and what you're going to respond. So it was really important that we captured the romance of it. But then obviously, as we see, as we go through the film, it gets, you know, it goes from being a romance to then being a thriller to then being a mystery. And we had to choose the WhatsApps that would best illustrate those different parts of the story. Um, and thankfully, because the majority of the relationships was on WhatsApp, we had a record of all of it. So it was just a case of really mining it. And, you, you know, it's obvious when you come across a good one and then we would pull that out and be like, well, that's got to go in because that tells us this. You know, like Fliss said, we kind of used it as rushes. So a lot of it was much more succinctly, a lot of the story was much more succinctly told by actually just showing one WhatsApp than by getting the girls to tell us about the experience of receiving a message and what that meant to them. We all know what that word means. We all know what those emojis mean and what they're supposed to convey. So it's a really good, just a, a, a way of, like Phil says, you know, but making it really propulsive, making sure that every WhatsApp message we saw was taking us to a new part of the story. Hmm. Now, I have a personal question for you, and I, I, there's probably a reason why you do this as a filmmaker, but do either of you actually have that, like, click, click, click sound on your iPhone keyboards? Because that's the first thing I turn off whenever I get a new phone. <laughs> <laughs> My husband asks me to turn it off anytime <laughs> I ever have it on. It absolutely does his head in. It does, it's one of those things that doesn't bother me when I'm doing it myself. When I hear other people doing it in the, on the train or whatever, it drives me insane. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> it was funny. I had it on actually. I had it on this morning and my boyfriend was like, your phone is being very loud. <laughs> tap, 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 tap. Yeah. But it's great. It's great sound design. Sure. Us, you know, in the film. Otherwise, it'd be um, a silent film, right? Just like watching letters go across the screen. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we talk about each of the women, you did make a choice to interview each of them at a table in a restaurant with a glass of wine in front of them. And I felt like I was on a date with each of them. Uh, Felicity, was that a, was that a choice that you made? Yeah, that was a choice that we made. Um, we sort of, I think it was your idea, Bernie. We were thinking, where should we, where should we film them? And then we thought, well, you know, all of these stories start with these incredible first dates. So, and we knew that we wanted the interviews to feel as intimate as possible. I knew that I wanted the eye line. I didn't want to do the sort of direct eye, but I wanted the eye line to be as close to the camera as possible. So I was sort of sitting like right next to the camera. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to, the audience to kind of, we wanted the audience to almost, yeah, feel like they were on the date with them and that these girls were basically just telling them this incredible story over a glass of wine like you would with, you know, one of your best friends. Well, it's incredibly successful because it's even lit that way. You know, it's like candlelight up from the table. I feel like they're even like wearing the makeup and presenting themselves like they would on a date. I, I thought it was affecting uh, a very, very good choice. Um, and you do start with Cecilia, who admits right out the gate from spending loads of time on Tinder. Bernadette, do you think it's fair to characterize her as a true romantic? Oh, God, yes. Cecilia is the definition of a true romantic. 
Because in a sense, I still loved him, you know? Or the person I thought that he was. Like, you know, everything's a lie. But then you still have this fairy tale that's going on on your phone, you know? Simon with, like, still the heart behind it. Because I could never, like, I couldn't remove it. Because I still wanted him to be true, you know? I mean, the fact that she still has her faith in love <laughs> so strongly after going through all of this really speaks to the strength of her belief in romance and everything happening for a reason and that the right man will come along at some point, which I think is just so commendable because so many other people would become so jaded and guarded and never want to trust anyone again. And I think it really speaks to Cecilia's spirit that she's like, no, you're not going to change me. I'm not going to lose faith in all of mankind simply because I, I, I chose a bad apple on this occasion. But yeah, no, Cecilia is the biggest believer in love. Hmm. Well, I think that um, Simon does a very good job choosing his targets. He obviously is mm -hmm. very good at what he does and um, I think is able to find people who are romantics. That's what con men do. They find marks, right? Um, mm -hmm. I found myself asking this question because all of these women are very much out of Simon's league, in my opinion. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> one of the things, Felicity, that I think he used as a tool to, to land these women who are far out of his league is corroboration. You know, he has people with him when he's texting them through WhatsApp and he's able to say, hi, you know, here's my friend. How else do you think, what other tools does he use to sort of hook these women who are so far out of his league but you know other techniques perhaps that you saw play out I think that what you get with Simon um, and we talk about it a lot is is the boyfriend experience we call it the Simon experience and you know these women obviously they're using tinder they're they're looking for love so then when they go on the date with him um, it's it's almost like they're experiencing immersive theatre. You know, it's it's not just catfishing. This is a whole other level. Um, and so they're kind of, you know, bamboozled with the amazing kind of life that he's living um, and the stories that he tells. But then he's also incredibly attentive, charming, interested in them, doesn't mess them around at first. You know, at first he's this committed, loving boyfriend who, you know, there aren't any any kind of red flags in the terms of what you would say to your girlfriends, you know, should I be dating this guy? I'm not sure. He hasn't messaged me back. He hasn't called me in a couple of days. All of those kinds of things. You know, Simon, everything about Simon as a boyfriend at first stacks up. He's like the perfect, he's, he's a, like a Prince Charming, basically. So also, I mean, the, the scale of it. I mean, Bernadette, were you, like, when you first heard this story, surprised that the first date so often starts on such a grand scale. I mean, the, the private plane first date kind of almost swept me off my feet. I was like, I I totally get it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he goes straight in <laughs> with the, the grand gestures. You know, the, the, but in terms of the bedazzling these women and just completely kind of tilting them off their regular axis, I think it's a very deliberate move because they're immediately in a world where they've got no point of reference for any decisions that they make. Um, so they lean very much on him to to lead them. And because he shares so much of himself, he creates this false intimacy between them and this false sense of trust. And it seems that, you know, you often hear about women complaining about men aren't emotionally open or they won't share with, by themselves. You know, his 
his very deliberate um, strategy is to immediately say, you know, my life is quite difficult and, you know, a lot of people use me for my money and I'm really looking for somebody who can be, you know, a, a steady rock for me to, to lean on and, you know, I've got a child and it's really important to me to be a father. And he's just saying all of these things that are just tick, 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 tick. But in just this extraordinarily luxurious, unfamiliar setting. Hmm. So he just puts women in a position where they've got no, like I said, it's not your average date. So they just get swept along. And it's a hard thing to say no to, isn't it, really? A trip in a private jet or dinner at a five-star restaurant. Yes. There is an element, especially of Cecilia, she comes from a place of yes. Yes. What's the worst that can happen? Absolutely. She's primed <laughs> for it, right? She's, you know, talking about the Disney mm-hmm. films, uh, wanting mm. to be swept off her feet. She asked to be. Um, so... Mm-hmm. Felicity, can you tell me a little bit about Pernilla's relationship with Simon? Because it wasn't romantic in the traditional sense, right? Mm -mm. Yeah, exactly. So they met on Tinder the same way that he met Cecilia. And um, she was in Stockholm at the time. And he um, must have been in Stockholm at the time that they were both using the app. They matched. And then he basically asked if she wanted to come and meet him in Amsterdam for dinner. A little bit short for my taste was the first thing I was thinking, but he's really easy to talk to. It's quite rare that you meet someone you have this instant connection. After we spent an hour together, it felt like we had known each other for 10 years or something. You know, Penilla's spontaneous and, you know, travels a lot, so she thought, okay, what the hell? Um, she describes how he, he he didn't tick the boxes for her, I don't think. She wasn't attracted to him at first, but she was certainly, I think, swept up in how funny she felt he was, in how he made her feel good in his company, how she just said that, you know, they just had this incredible connection that wasn't a romantic connection, but nevertheless, he was somebody that she then wanted in her life she felt she had met somebody special. I mean, they really did have a very supportive, well, ostensibly supportive friendship. You know, they would talk about work issues. Pernilla would email him after she'd been on a bad date and he would like jeer up and say, oh, it'll be all right, keep trying. You know, they had a real buddy relationship, which is why I think it, it was it really came. And you have to remember as well that he spent a lot longer grooming Pernilla they were friends for eight months before he asked her for any money. Mm. So she really did have eight months of what she thought was a very close friendship. And you can form close friendships in a much shorter time scale than that. So as far as she was concerned, they were just best friends. They just completely connected. Uh, one more question about her, Felicity. Do you think that Simon used Pernilla as corroboration to hook in other women? Like, this is my best friend. She thinks I'm cool, kind of. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, That's exactly what he does, Mm. uses the people around him. You know, there is no one that's that Simon isn't rubbing his hands together thinking of, you know, how can I make how can I use you in my scheme? Mm. So there is a scene in which Pernilla confronts Simon on the phone. What did you want the viewers to learn about Simon in that scene? Well, I think in that you really experience him unraveling and the barefaced lying. <laughs> um, you know, by this point, we have seen 
it, you know, we've we've experienced his lies. We've experienced how the con works. We know exactly what he's up to and how he's doing it. Simon, 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 listen to me. I know. What do you know? I know you about... Me something that I don't know. Yeah, what I, do you know? What I know you everything. Know Simon, I know that you're doing what this... Do you know? I know what you're doing do this you know? fraud thing. I know you've been in jail in Finland. I know you... What the fuck is this? What the fuck is this bullshit? I know about the other people that you are frauded. And I think that that piece of archive, which VG, the Norwegian newspaper, had shot, um, just really showed that he can just lie. He can lie at the click of a finger. Hmm. He can come up with an excuse. He talks you down. He tries to talk over you. And then as soon as things aren't going his way, he'll threaten you, try and threaten you into silence. Um, And I think that that is that conversation was sort of indicative of the real Simon and who he really is. The reporters at VG spent a whole lot of time and money and travel on something that, you know, frankly, isn't a hard news story. Um, One of the things I loved, Bernadette, was that an angle that we don't see them pursue in any way, and in fact, they intentionally say that they are not going to pursue it, is, you know, what's wrong with this woman? You know, why did she fall for it? I love that they immediately understood the reason why is because he is good at this. Did you find that, like, as refreshing as I did? Oh, God, yeah. Because it's so easy to victim blame in these situations. And a lot of people do. The girls experienced a lot of that online after the article was released. But there's no way of avoiding that. There are always going to be people who take that point of view on it. But no, they, like us read through all of the WhatsApp messages and really were embodied in that relationship with her. So we totally could see how he had done it. And it's this very gradual um, kind of it's testing of boundaries the whole time. It's, you can see how he does it. He, you know, he, he'll ask a small favour first. And if they do that, then the next time he'll ask a bigger favour. And then it, it's just he's clearly identifying his mark. Mm. Um, and, you know, they're unaware that it's happening, of course. It's happening so slowly. Mm. But you know, there's a very clear agenda that he does with all of them. But it followed exactly the same track with all of them and different time scales. But, you know, he sent the same messages showing his bleeding head. He came up with the same stories about his background and his family. You know, everyone got the same story because it worked for him. Right. And they all believed it. And these are smart women. So it's much more about how convincing and manipulative he was. Well, I'm curious then how you'd respond because there is, you know, a section, of course, on Twitter um, that says, Uh you know, these women are attracted to Simon because, you know, they want to use his money. So don't feel bad for them that instead, you know, he took them for their money. Like, what would you say Bernadette, uh, if you ever got to respond, <laughs> if someone said that to you at a party, what would you say? It's as easy to fall in love with the prince as it is with a pauper. Yep. So if everything else is a ticking what you're looking for, attractiveness, um, getting along. It's not like these girls were going after some 70-year-old man that they couldn't have a conversation with, but that lived in some big house. Do you know what I mean? They, they connected with him. They had a lot of fun with him. All of them say that he was really good company. He was the perfect boyfriend. So him being wealthy just was the icing on the cake because who wouldn't rather be wealthy if they have a choice? Hmm. But 
Simply because he was wealthy doesn't mean that they deserved what he did to them. And even if they had been attracted to him because of his wealth, that they still didn't deserve what happened to them. There's, at no point does it become their fault. It's, it's, it's just an insane argument and it just comes from people who refused or just, well, probably just misogynists. But there we are. Yeah. It's very different when it's a, when it's a female con woman. It's always people feel sorry for the poor man that got conned by the evil woman. Right. And when it's a male con man, it's a stupid woman that fell for it. So you can't win as a woman. You can't. With these stories. <laughs> I think we all Basically. agree. <laughs> um, so Felicity, Bernadette just mentioned these like contemporaneous text messages sending the exact same message to one woman and then another mm. woman. You know, that love message to Cecilia seconds after sending one to Eileen. Um, that plus the sheer amount of money we watch him spending in Greece which seemed to exceed the amount of money that we know Cecilia was sending him just in a day, um, mm-hmm. made me wonder just how many women Simon was juggling at the same time. Do you have any sense of that, Felicity? It's it's such a good question. And we have gone back and forwards, you know, who else could be out there? We've spoken to a number of other victims who... Um, understandably didn't want to be in the film. Perhaps more women, more victims will come forwards. And the thing with Simon as well is that, you know, it's not just these emotional cons that he's spinning. It's not just uh, women that he's meeting on Tinder. Um, you know, as we've just, you know, as, as we've been exploring in, in the podcast um, and as we show in the film, um, you know, there are there are uh, private jet companies, hotel rooms, bills he hasn't paid. So I think that that sort of stacks up as well in terms of what Simon was taking for himself. So Felicity, it seemed Simon had been financially choked off. What is he doing these days? Mm, it's a good question. Um, as of, you know, recording this podcast with you, Simon's Instagram profile is uh, set to private. Mm-hmm. Um, but throughout making the film, his Insta was open. So, you know, we were able to have a peep into what he was up to post getting out of prison. And from his Instagram, it seems like he, you know, he just very much appears to be living the sort of playboy, jet setter lifestyle driving around in $200,000 cars, shopping in Gucci or Chanel, uh, spend, 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 spending money on a a glamorous new girlfriend. Um, And so that begs the question, you know, how is Simon paying for all of this? Where is the money coming from? Um, He would probably say, and I won't speak for him, but he would probably say that he's a legitimate entrepreneur and he's a businessman and he was even at one point advertising on his Instagram um, career like a career advice business um, like a sort of entrepreneur program where you could pay just $300 for an hour with Simon Levive to tell you all the ins and outs of you know how to get rich quick Um, but yeah we we don't know because we know that the point that we leave him in the film when He is completely choked, as you say. He's got no money coming in because he can't con any women. That he has nothing. He is nothing without these women's money. You know, these women's money. So therefore, today, who knows? Hmm. 
Well, one of the questions is why Simon has never faced a trial for these cons. And in your podcast, you talked to a barrister named Ben Keith. He said part of the reason is the international nature of his misdeeds. So let's listen to a clip of that. Simon's con is illegal in different ways in different countries. So what might be illegal in the UK under, say, the Fraud Act or some sort of blackmail would still be criminal, effectively a fraud, a misrepresentation of the facts in order to get a financial gain. That is illegal in all European states. What's more problematic for Simon's victims is how he involves them in his scam. He makes almost all the women complicit in the crime because uh, he's obviously lying to them about being in trouble, but then gets them effectively to commit fraud on credit card companies and loan companies to allow her to get a higher limit to allow him to spend it. And so actually he's made the women he's dating an accessory to his fraud. And so to prosecute him in isolation of them is not as straightforward as it might seem. So Bernadette, next week I'm turning over this feed to you uh, for your podcast on the Tinder Swindler. Are you guys trying to take over all of digital media right now? (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? If it means that, if it means that, um, you know, more people know who he is, then yeah, for sure. I'm I'm curious, what are we going to hear in the podcast that we didn't see in the documentary? Well, there was just so in the course of our research, we just kept finding more and more. Like there were so many threads to pull with Simon because he's been up to no good since he was a teenager. Um, and lots of the stories of what he had done were, were jaw-dropping stories, but we always had a very clear vision in mind that the film would be very much about the woman. It would not be about Simon. And if it wasn't the woman's experience, that it wasn't going to come into the film. But at the same time, we did have all of this extra information. And we were like, it would be such a shame to never get to share this with anyone. So that's kind of where the idea from the podcast came. So it becomes much more, it's three parts and it's much more an an exploration of Simon. So the first episode is how he, uh, just more information about him as Simon Levive and the Simon experience and how that was put together by him. And then we, because he's got three different identities, of course, and and we we kind of touch upon them in the film because before he was Simon Levive, he was a guy called Mordecai Tapiro was the identity he was using. So then in the second episode, we find out a lot more about that and about his crimes in Finland. And then the third episode is a real humdinger because it goes back to his childhood and it's full of twists and turns that we had, yeah, we were very shocked to find out. So I'm curious, and I'd love to hear from both of you, what does justice look like for Cecilia, Pernilla, and Eileen? Bernadette, what do you think? I mean, they want to see him in prison. They want to see him being prosecuted with a proper trial uh, where they get to present their evidence, where he gets to be challenged on a stand, where, I mean, ideally he would admit his wrongdoing and he would be sentenced to some time in prison. I mean, he will never, ever admit to wrongdoing. Like when he was in uh, in court in Finland, he stuck to his story. He never once dropped the the act. But for the woman, they just want to feel heard, I think. They never felt heard. They felt dismissed. They felt like nobody cared. They felt like they were just kind of 
brushed off as silly women who'd had an argument with their boyfriend and, and it just wasn't really taken seriously. And given the scale and scope of what Simon has done for many, many years, there has to be some kind of punishment. There has to be consequences for this. Otherwise, what kind of a message is that sending out? Hmm. Do you agree, Felicity? Is that what justice looks like for Cecilia, Pernella and Eileen? I think that's that's what they've told us. Yeah, for sure. They would like to see him in prison. But then you have to wonder, what does rehabilitation look like for a man like Simon? Um, you know, would he? he's shown us already that he spent, you know, a couple of years in prison in Finland. Um, he's, and he came out and did exactly the same thing again. Um, you know, obviously now today, we don't know that he's committing any crimes. Um, you know, he's been to prison and we don't know that he's um, committing any crimes today. Um, but it certainly, when you see his Instagram, see what he's presenting on there, doesn't look like justice has been served at all. I mean, what we hope and what we feel is that um, if the film is watched by lots of people, that that will feel like some kind of justice for Cecilia Pinilla and Eileen because, you know, it's a, an incredible global audience and, you know, there's power in that. There's power in showing the world what who this man is and what he does. Um, you know, and you can't keep doing it. You, it's just, you know, flat out wrong. And everyone needs to know that. Well, director Felicity Morris and producer Bernadette Higgins from The Tinder Swindler, thank you so much for joining me on You Can't Make This Up. Thank you. Thank you for having us. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks again to director Felicity Morris and producer Bernadette Higgins. If you want more about The Tinder Swindler, listen to next week's special episode as Felicity and Bernadette spill the tea on all the other crazy swindles that didn't make it into the film. What were your thoughts about the Tinder swindler? Did you wonder how Simon could keep up the con for so long? Did you have questions about the investigation? Are you hoping the women still find true love? Tweet to me at Reb Lavoy. That's R-E-B-L-A-V-O-I-E. And let me know. For more of my takes, check out my other podcast, Crime Writers On!, Each week on that show, we break down the latest in true crime documentaries, films, podcasts, and pop culture. If you like You Can't Make This Up, rate and review this show and share it with friends. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And make sure to subscribe to the show to stay tuned for all new episodes. Our music is by Kelly Mack at Netflix Music Lab. You Can't Make This Up is a production of Netflix. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. Thanks so much for listening.